Thanks, Jamie, for, uh, for that prayer. It is, um, I don't know, strangely comfortable or uncomfortably strange. Um, it's really weird being here. Uh, you'll have to forgive me if some of your faces look really familiar and I don't have the foggiest idea what your name is. That happens when you get old, um, like me. And uh, so, as uh, Liz said, we've retired uh, to Bellingham. Mostly we came to Bellingham to be uh, close to friends who were in Canada and because uh, our daughter Jessie is in Seattle. Um, so that uh, gave us a good reason for uh, locating up here. And the weather here is incredibly better than Central California, I guarantee it. Unless you like having um, 100 degree days and you can't do anything outside during the summer, um, then you're welcome to Central California. Um, but uh, it's, we've just delighted in uh, being back uh, in the Pacific Northwest and um, it's been great, uh, great for us to, uh, to be here. Our, our scripture today is from Luke 18. Um, I know that, 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 that Bill and Bert are doing a series on uh, windows into God's kingdom, and I thought I would uh, just chime in with that. And so we'll do a parable from uh, Luke chapter 18. Uh, this is Luke 18. Uh, this is God's word. As we prepare to hear it, let's pray together. Jesus Christ, a word become flesh. May the word we now hear, uh, the word that you give us, uh, become flesh in our lives. May uh, this word uh, be a word for us today in which you speak to us and make clear to us more and more what your kingdom is like. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Luke 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith under the earth? This is the word of the Lord. My father was, a, was an avid reader. He read all kinds of books, theology, biography, uh, historical fiction, novels, and every so often, when my dad would take up a, a new book, well, oftentimes it was a, a, a novel, he would read the last chapter first. We asked him why he would do that, why he would spoil the surprise of discovering the end of the story. And he would reply, I want to see where the story's going. Well, that's exactly what Jesus does in Luke chapter 18. He tells us the point of the story first. 
Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Now, before we get to the story, can I just be honest with you? I find prayer problematic. I mean, some, maybe some of you experience this too, but I think prayer has its problems. We send our words out believing that they will break through the ceiling and get to God. Now, it's easy to say you're a Christian. South of the border, lots of people say they're Christians. But saying you're a Christian does not make you one. But as soon as you say, let us pray, you open another door. Once we begin to pray, we put our faith on the line. Whether in a a school exam or an armed battle or when facing a health crisis, when we pray, when we honestly pray, we put our belief in God to the test. Whether we pray because we believe God will hear us, but even more because our desire for earnest prayer, that for me creates some problems. First, there's sort of a a practical problem with prayer. I mean, some of us, myself included, would like to pray more, but we simply don't have the time or find the time. I mean, I get busy starting my day, living my day, and then being too tired at the end of the day to make much time for prayer. Or maybe we have a, there's an ethical problem with prayer. I mean, I visited with family members who are keeping watch over a father or mother who is dying. Is it okay to pray for death for someone who needs to die? I have. And if that's okay, what about someone who discovers they have a terminal illness? Is it okay to pray for medical assistance in dying? Or it could be that our problem is simply theological. If I pray for the healing of my sick child and he doesn't get well, does that mean God wasn't listening? Where is God in unanswered prayer? Or if he gets better, does that mean I moved God to act? I mean, what's this connection between prayer and God's action? And then Jesus seems to make things even cloudier. He says, pray whatever. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Or he says, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. Author Larry Crabb heard these words when he was 10 years old, and he knew that Jesus never lies. So he ran outside, stood on his driveway, closed his eyes real tight, and he prayed, God, I want to fly like Superman, and I believe you can do it, so I'll jump and you take it from there. And he jumped four times. But he landed a half second later and a half foot farther down the driveway. He believed, he asked, just like Jesus said, but Larry Crabb did not receive that day. There seems to be a problem with the whatever of Jesus' teaching. And then here, in the Gospel of Luke, we confront, I think, the biggest problem of all. 
Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. I think the problem that's lurking beneath all the others, our biggest problem with prayer, is that we lose heart. It is hard to keep praying. A U.S. church leader once met with some South Korean Christians. And the South Koreans talked of the mission opportunities that would open up once North and South Korea were reunified. The church, U.S. church leader doubted such a reunification. I mean, how could they be sure of this? Had something happened to give them hope for such an impossibility? Well, no, explained the South Korean leaders, but it's going to happen because we've been praying about it for 50 years. 50 years. Who has the capacity to pray for 50 years? Maybe the biggest problem that we have with prayer is that we quit. We give up praying. We can lose heart. So Jesus tells a story. It's a parable. He tells a story to encourage his disciples not to give up on prayer. Now first, Jesus introduces us to a judge. Uh, Judges were people who wielded extraordinary power. They had the final word. This judge, however was despicable. Uh, To call him your honor would be laughable. He's totally corrupt. He doesn't go to church. He doesn't give to the food bank. He neither feared God nor cared about people. Now, fearing God was one of the prerequisites of Israel's judges. When King Jehoshaphat appointed judges in Jerusalem, he pointed them to their godly responsibility. This is what he said. Consider carefully what you do, because you're not judging for mere mortals, but for the Lord. Let the fear of the Lord be on you. Judge carefully, for with the Lord our God there is no injustice or partiality or bribery. Now, God's righteousness was the furthest thing from this judge's mind. He didn't uphold God's law. He was a law unto himself. He didn't hold himself accountable to God or to others. He gives no thought to God. And he doesn't care much for people either. He respects no one except those who might line his pocket with a bribe. Instead of having sensitivity to the most vulnerable This judge was a a self-centered narcissist. And the second person, the second person in Jesus' story is vulnerable. A widow. Widows were the most vulnerable people in that society. Widow is a symbol of helplessness. They couldn't inherit their husband's estate. They didn't have the survivor benefits or own businesses like widows can today. Widows depended on the compassion of a community. Like Naomi in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. They were often homeless and they subsisted on the gleanings left in the field after harvest. God was a widow's only protection. The Psalms say, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. 
Even in the early church, care of widows was recognized as a primary Christian responsibility. Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. The woman in Jesus' story is a widow, dependent, vulnerable. But this widow wasn't helpless. She has gumption. She has the capacity to annoy. She kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. The widow has one weapon at her disposal, nagging. She doesn't have money for an attorney, no money for a bribe. She just wants justice. She wants what's right. She comes alone to plead her case. The only power at her disposal is the power of being a pest. The judge turns her away from her in the courtroom. He won't hear her case. He throws her back out on the street. So she brings her case to him. He's at the golf course. She shows up. He's out for dinner with his wife. There she is. The widow is in his face night and day. Either the judge will hear her request or he'll put her in jail or he'll kill her. And her pestering works. The judge relents. Because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll see that she gets justice. He'd had enough. His reputation in the community was starting to get tarnished. There were snickers at the golf club. Maybe he didn't care about people, but he cared about himself, and his pride was taking a hit. Actually, it was more than his pride that he was worried about. The judge says, I'll see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. See, he's from the parental school of justice. Children cry out from the back seat, Mom, Billy took my toy and won't give it back. Children mistakenly believe that parents are interested in justice. They are not interested in justice. Parents want quiet. The judge wants the widow to be quiet. Actually, uh, the judge may have more than his peace and quiet in mind. The phrase, wear me out, literally means to punch someone in the face. The judge might be in fear of his physical well-being, or at the very least, afraid of the black eye her nagging was giving his reputation. So Jesus tells us this story of how this powerful, unjust judge was done in by the least powerful in society, a lowly widow. So what's the point? What are we to conclude? Jesus says, Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Perhaps Jesus wanted us to see from the unjust judge's point of view that despite his corrupt heart, he can produce justice. So justice will win. Somehow justice will prevail because justice lies beneath all things. Is Jesus teaching us that no matter how bad things appear, underneath it all, God's providence will prevail with justice. New York Times writer once told of being at Yankee Stadium for a late September ball game. 
Sitting nearby, the writer, was a nine-year-old boy wearing a, a Yankees cap that seemed to be two sizes too, uh, uh, too big, and he had an oversized baseball glove, but he was ready for anything that came his way, and it did. In the second inning, a foul ball came flying right toward this kid. He got, his, got up, got his glove ready, was ready to make the catch, and at the last moment, just as the ball was ready to enter his glove, some 30-something guy with horn-rimmed glasses sticks his hand out and grabs the ball. The kid is heartbroken. The crowd sees what's happened. One guy not too far from Mr. 30-something says, Give the kid the ball! And then others begin to take up the chant. Give the kid the ball. And the chant begins to spread. It spreads to sections that didn't even see what had happened. Give the kid the ball. Give the kid the ball. And 30-something is impervious to the chance. He fears neither God nor humanity. And he stuck the ball in his pocket. Well, around about the fifth inning, somebody went up to Mr. 30-something and spoke to him urgently respectfully, but whatever he said, 30-something reached into his pocket and gave the kid the ball. He gave the kid the ball, the crowd chanted. He gave the kid the ball. The players on the field were even taking more notice of what was happening in the stands than what was happening on the field. Then another foul ball came. A man caught it. He gave it to 30-something. That was a nice thing you did. Here, take the ball. And then the stands all cheered. And then another foul ball came and a man with a Fu Manchu mustache caught it and he gave it to the kid. And now the kid had two balls and another ovation swept the whole crowd. So out on these stands in September in Yankee Stadium, there was a sense that underneath all things, there is fairness. Is that what Jesus wants us to see? There may be corruption, but in the end, things will turn out okay? Well, there's a sense in which we can say that justice will win, but that's not what Jesus teaches. He doesn't say, take heart, things are not as bad as they seem. Jesus told this parable so that they would pray always and never give up. He's talking about praying without losing heart. Okay, maybe Jesus wants us to look at it from the widow's point of view. Maybe Jesus is saying that her kind of stubborn persistence finally brings down corrupt structures. Kind of a be stubborn in prayer lesson. Be persistent. Preacher Tom Long tells of a time when Washington, D.C. lawyer Edwin Bennett Williams met with Mother Teresa because she wanted funding for an AIDS hospice. Williams and another man were the primary officers of a, a charitable foundation. And Edwin Bennett Williams explained to his partner, he wasn't really crazy about AIDS. It's not my favorite disease, he explained. But I've got this saint from the Roman Catholic Church coming to ask for money, and I don't want to give her any. And I don't know what to do. Well, his partner suggested that they listen to her, thank her, and then explain they have no surplus money, so they can't help her. Great idea. In came Mother Teresa. Williams and his partner sat in leather chairs on one side of a mahogany desk, and, and a diminutive Mother Teresa sat on the other side. She described the AIDS hospice ministry and appealed for money. 
William said, we're moved by your presentation, we're touched by your compassion, but we're sorry, we, we really don't have money to support the cause. Mother Teresa said, let's pray. Well, Williams and his partner exchanged perplexed looks, and then they bowed their heads. And when Mother Teresa said, amen, she proceeded to give exactly the same appeal. They replied, well, thank you very much. We're, we're touched by your compassion. We don't have any surplus. We can't give at this time. And Mother Teresa nodded and said, let's pray. And William said, okay, okay, let me get my checkbook. Perhaps that's what Jesus was getting at. God might seem reluctant to answer our prayers, but, but if we keep at it, nag God a bit, pester God with our prayers, invite our, our Facebook friends to join in, make a, a prayer request at every possible moment, then justice will end up being done. No, that's not what Jesus teaches. Oh, true, he wants us to persist in prayer, but God isn't some unjust judge who finally gives in to our nagging. Now, Jesus told this parable so that we would pray always and not give up. He doesn't want us to look at the character of the judge or the character of the widow. He wants us to see the character of God. Don't lose heart because our God is a God of justice who hears the prayers of the oppressed. If a little widow can get justice from a corrupt judge, how much more will the children of God be blessed? God who formed us, who knows the number of hairs on our heads, who cares for us every day, that's who hears our prayers. Jesus tells this story right after he tells the disciples in chapter 17 that there may be a delay in his return. He's saying, don't lose heart. God will come. God will rain down justice on the earth. All things will be made new. True, true. we do not know the hows, and the whys, and the whens, and the wheres of it all. But we know our God. Oh yes, there are apparent delays. Sometimes it seems as if God is putting us off. But it's not so. In Jesus Christ, we have seen God. Jesus cried out to God. And God answered him. It took three days. Three days that felt to the disciples like a lifetime. But on that third day, God raised him from the dead. God will be true to his nature and grant justice. Not that our every whim will be satisfied, but our day and night prayer, our lifetime of prayer, our praying without giving up, is just the way we live. It's just the way we wait. And that's the hard part, isn't it? The hard part is living in the waiting. 
Which is why Jesus' story ends with a question. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will Jesus find the faith of the widow? Will Jesus find people who are fully confident that God is trustworthy? Living faith keeps praying, keeps asking, because that's what faith does. Living faith, to follow the logic of the great Canadian theologian Bruce Coburn, knows that nothing worth having comes without some kind of fight. you got to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. Living faith kicks at the darkness of disability and mental illness that plagues your daughter year after year. Living faith kicks at the darkness of despair when your child dies too young or your spouse dies too soon and you've lost so much hope. Living faith kicks at the darkness of years of national injustice in hopes of making strides towards truth and reconciliation. Living faith prays through each stage and every age of life we got to kick at the darkness, never giving up trust that God hears our prayers. Yes, there are times we lose heart. Times we don't feel like praying. But when we pray, we put into words our faith in Christ. As one person put it, Only as persons persist in prayer will they persist in faith, a living relationship with God. Prayer is asking God to do what only God can do. On our own, we're utterly helpless, vulnerable, like that dependent widow. So we keep praying for God's purposes to be fulfilled. We pray until God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says, pray always without giving up because our God is not an aloof, cruel, unjust judge. We believe that God will bring about life in us as God brought about new life in Jesus Christ. Canadian singer-songwriter Steve Bell once considered the plight of refugees coming to Canada. They had endured an arduous journey. And he noted that their only refuge is God. Their only strength in hopeless times. And Bell sings, On God alone my soul in stillness waits, the glory and the joy of my salvation the rock on which all form of fury breaks, my stronghold, so that I may not be shaken. Wait alone in stillness, O my soul. Wait alone in stillness. Wait alone, O my soul. The steadfast love of God be all my strength, my refuge, my hope, and my elation. Our prayers place us in the hands of the one who is our strength. To pray and never give up is to wait alone in stillness for the steadfast love of God to carry us through. We pray, not losing heart, because our faithful God is our stronghold. 
our refuge, our hope, our elation. And that's why Jesus told this story. So that we would always pray and not give up. Kick at the darkness till it bleeds daylight because our God is trustworthy. We cry out to God day and night. We stay in God's face until prayer, until His kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Even if God delays, pray always. Don't lose heart. Keep knocking on heaven's door. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. We ask only, God, that you would give us strength to see how trustworthy you are and then just to keep praying, to plead to you that all would be made right as you want it right. To plead with you that all things would be made new. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.